för sändningen en kort melding fra ja fra mig egentlig. Om du liker det vi gör här i Morgenbrights podcast så kan du öppna nettläsaren på telefonen din, sök på Morgenbrights podcast på Facebook och gå in och lik den nya Facebook-sidan vår. Där ska vi dela livstegn fra livet backstage på podcasten, sista nytt om kommende sändningar och liveuppträdanden och tips till vidare läsning om teman vi snackar om. Ja, samt andre små og store innfall. Mens du er der, så kan du også lägga en en hyggelig besked. I tillegg til det, så har vi ett specialtillbud til dig som hører på podcasten, men som ännu ikke abonnerer på Morgenbladet. Avisa, altså. Om du går in på morgenbladet.no-podd, så kan du få ett års abonnement til halv pris halvpris altså. For rundt 1000 kroner så får du da avisa på døra i et helt år. Gå in på morgenbladet.no skråstrek podd. Det var alt. Nå til sendinga. Why does revenge porn exist? It's so sad. Like, but there's also something just so human about humiliating each other and 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 like it's like there was a town whore in the Renaissance and now there's me. Internet har gjort sex offentlig på en måte det var vanskelig å forestille seg for bare et par år siden. Datingapper har, har organisert checking efter Henry Fords samlebåndsfilosofi. Norske skoleelever har begynt å dele intime videoer med hverandre. Så är er internet en revolutionerande teknologi som kan ändra sex till det bedre? eller ger den bara rum till helt nya former för sexualiserat våld och trakasserier. Det här är er Morgenbladets podcast. Jag heter Askil Matre Åsare. Sist vecka så holdt Morgenbladet en salong på litteraturhuset i Oslo under en norsk sakprosa festival på scenen som möttes Emily Witt som har skrivit boka Future Sex en skildring fra de polyamorøse subkulturene som har uppstått på, på nettet Ellen Sofie Løritsen som har skrevet Snakkes til uka i feltbok fra datingliv på Tinder og andre datingapper og Emma Holten som blev kjent da hun tog et oppgjør med trakasseringen hun selv hadde opplevd på internet. Samtalen er ledet av journalist her i Morgenbladet Emil Flatte Let's start with the sort of more liberatory potential. Um, Emily Witt, you've written um, this book here, Future Sex, which is kind of a journey um, through a bunch of sexual subcultures, but uh, I guess the main project is to go um, to the home of the former 1960s counterculture, San Francisco, which is now also, uh, you know, with Silicon Valley, but also with a number of cultural practices that have evolved there, um, that's also the seat of a lot of the conversations that we're seeing arising around sex and technology. So did you find uh, a utopia in San Francisco? Mm, more like a dystopia. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I did find, um, because of the history there, not only of the counterculture, but as a place in the United States where um, one of the first cities where gay people and people of all a whole range of sexualities found freedom and acceptance um it's still the place where the avant-garde can freely express themselves and there's just a very earnest culture of self-disclosure and self-inquiry there that lends itself to people just speaking very openly about what they do and with pride and yeah. <laughs> so will you give us a sense of, of what we're talking about here? I spent a lot of time with a pornography company called kink.com that um, makes p- 
pretty intense BDSM fetish porn. Um, and most of the time I was with a woman director there. She's a dominatrix. Her name is Princess Donna. So that was one extreme. Then I met with this um, sort of self-help group called One Taste um, that practices something called orgasmic meditation. And so it's a woman-centric daily practice that's supposed to be neither intercourse or masturbation, but you do it, it's like a partner strokes a woman's clitoris for 15 minutes and it's just supposed to be meditative and allow a woman to get back in touch with her body and experience um, physical desire outside of any narrative of dating or romance or partnership or anything like that. So there was that group. Um, And then probably, yeah, and then I also spent a lot of time with um, a group of three young Google employees. They don't work there anymore, but they worked there at the time. Um, All of them kind of from a privileged class, social class in the United States who were um, practicing polyamory. So they saw it as an experiment they were undertaking. And what was interesting to me about them is that they were very, they were people that had, I don't want to say they were conformists, but they had always gotten good grades, gone to good universities, had corporate jobs. And yet in this part of their life, they felt this desire to experiment and they saw it as this like natural and good thing to mess around with. And so they, yeah, spent a lot of time with them too. And that would be the thing that connects the most to 1960s counterculture, right? Because it's the idea of free love and how sort of new social forms will also have new sorts of relationships develop. Yeah. And what was so different between now and the 60s is in the 60s there was this idea that now most people would think of as very naive that you could um, if you could free love and you could free yourself from sexual inhibition you could also um, end capitalism and end war and create a new society and now this generation of people believe in free love in a different way they don't they're not naive (laughs) and there's a phrase and they're also more careful um a little less reckless there's a phrase that's kind of a joke in san francisco but not really um called responsible hedonism that okay yeah you can like go to a sex party and all this stuff but you have to be very you have to be well versed in the politics of consent you have to use condoms you um you're very emotionally aware of people and if 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 something happens that's terrible or that hurts you or you feel hurt you can talk about your feelings and everybody can work it out and there's no um so it's a it's a different culture from the the that first or not maybe not the first iterate but that older version right. of free love right. yeah all right, and um, Ellen, Sophia, <laughs> um, your book, Snakestyuka, or um, Speak to Next Week, um, has the subtitle Field Notes from a Digital Dating World. And it sort of chronicles your time um, trying to find love or connections um, on a whole range of social uh, media apps, and plenty of which I'd never heard about. Um, <laughs> Would you say that you found an alienating world in these apps? Yes and no, I guess. Um, 
I guess in the beginning it was mostly fascinating. Um, I was living in New York and uh, I downloaded Tinder because my friend told me to. And there were all these really attractive men uh, that I could just go out and meet if I wanted to, if, if I got a match. Um, but, and so yeah, that was a bit alienating uh, or just a bit strange to me. Uh, I've, I've tried, you know, the, the sukkur as we have in Norway, it's like match.com, uh, but I haven't had this on my phone, faces, 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 um, just thousands of faces that I could just pick up and have them in my pocket and just pick up my phone and get a date uh, if I wanted to. I think we're, our brains adapt very easily. So if it felt a bit alienated or strange at first, it didn't take it didn't take me long to just suddenly, you know, it became a thing that I was doing just like any other app on my phone. It didn't take long until they were just like almost like a part of me, mm-hmm. <laughs> in a way. <laughs> um, I think you work very hard to introduce a new word into the Norwegian language in this uh, book, and that word would be ghosting. Yeah. Or ghosting. Ghosting. Um, what's that? <laughs> Um, well, ghosting is disappearing uh, from a relation just like that, or without giving any clues. Um, you, let's say you've been on maybe one date, maybe two dates, maybe 23 dates, and you text someone and are like, hey, are we still up for tomorrow? Dinner, movie, whatever. And then the person just doesn't get back to you, and you don't hear anything. Um, and you just sit there and you're staring at your screen and nothing happens. Maybe you see the little bubble things, but then it's just silence. And I mean, ghosting is not a new phenomenon. We've had ghosting. Um, people have ghosted each other for years. But what's new about ghosting is that um, with social media and with the dating apps and all of that, you can it's, you see it while it happens. It's like live, ghosting minute by minute. Uh, it's like a live ghosting. You see that you can see that the person has read the text, or you see the little uh, green little beast, uh, or you see the little uh, you see that he's green on Messenger, or you see that she's active on Tinder or Happen, and and he has posted a photo on Instagram or is on Facebook or whatever. He's on his phone or she's on his or her phone, but they just ignore you. And I think that's what new is that. It's so see-through, and and you feel uh, at least it's easy to feel that you can't really do anything about it. You can just see that it happens to you, and then just kind of have to shake it off and move on. All right, Emma, um, we go quite a while back, so I seem yes. to struggle to keep track of what you're doing. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, hello. <laughs> um, my name is Emma uh, Holton. I'm um, an activist. Um, I started uh, working in feminist activism um, a couple of years after I was a victim of what's called revenge porn in 2011. Um, And in 2014, I did a project called Consent, um, which was uploading new naked pictures to the internet with my consent to show the difference between um, sharing with and without consent and what that means for the sense of violation. Um, And since then... Um, I've been very um, engaged in talking about what um, online sexual violations mean for the victim's identity, but also 
how do we talk about this type of victimization? How do we talk about the pe people who are victims of it? How do we explain that it can even happen? How can it happen here where everyone says that we're so sexually liberated and everyone is having sex all the time, but suddenly when we lose control of sex, it becomes extremely painful and embarrassing, uh, almost like ghosting, you know? that. Um, as soon as you lose control of the situation, you don't feel empowered and you don't feel that you have control of the situation and suddenly we, we, come, we stumble into some sort of weird taboo, right? Um, and I've also been working a lot with how um, the internet uh, functions in shaping our identity because what is so odd about being a revenge porn victim is that honestly much more than a sexual crime, it is a crime of hijacking someone's identity. Um, and deciding what their body should mean, what their name should mean, what, they, what their face should mean, how it should be represented, in what contexts it should be represented. And I've tried to wrap my head around and talk about what that means for the person who is hijacked. Um, and I'm still working with that personally and politically. Um, and right now what I do most is I travel around to schools in Denmark mostly and talk to young people um, about feminism and and sexual violations online and, and what that means and what it says about us that this is as widespread as, as it is. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to I wanna turn the clock back a bit to when we met in a, yes. in a queer theory class. In <laughs> um, and I remember you were just like this amazing sort of, you know, very quick on the, your replique, as we say in Norwegian. <laughs> um, and um, you were hanging out on all of these foras that I did not understand were worthwhile places to be. You were talking about Reddit, you were talking about Tumblr in particular. Um, and in terms of this question of, of agency and maybe maybe to, to go a bit clearer the dystopia here, it seems like you've found a lot of value on these fora. So could you talk a bit about how that how those places are places where people can find new sorts of identity and empowerment? Yeah, I, th I think that what I've been struggling with both on a political level but also very much on a personal level is this idea of trying to understand am I someone online and then also someone in the real life or am I kind of both at the same time is it the same if someone says online Emma is a whore how should that reflect on on my identity in real life um, and I think that that victimization but also I've I've always been or I was when I was younger and somehow still is a, a little bit of an awkward kid sometimes and I think for um, and I had a lot of it interests that were very different from my peers when I was younger, and I've always been attracted to finding uh, communities of people that are faceless and bodiless, um, of being the, having this idea of being like a mind that is uh, divorced from my body, because I, I felt I've always felt incredibly awkward in in, fe in femininity and not felt that I fed into femininity and I was dressed as a boy almost all through my childhood life so I've always kind of struggled with my body in different types of ways and the revenge porn did not help with that at all <laughs> and um, and I think that I, that's why I was really attracted to this idea of being part of these forums where I could speak without having a directly where, where I, could, I could kind of leave my body in a way and become this username um, but then I also found out very quickly, you know, that a lot of these spaces presented exactly the same challenges as real life. That as soon as people found out you were a woman, suddenly what you said meant something completely different than it used to. Um, and the ways that there was, especially on ma in male-dominated spaces like Reddit, for example, um, the birthplace of the old right. Mm -hmm. um, 
I, I was very, very surprised and, and sad mm. that the internet wasn't this liberating space that I thought, but instead a space that was kind of like the old spaces in real life and had the same problems. Mm. Um, and I thought, you know... Because there's this yeah. argument, you know, that uh, Tumblr in particular, that's kind of where the whole 58 gender identities of Facebook <laughs> comes from. Um, and, you know, there's this sense that, you know, you have this whole menu of things that you can identify as. Did you participate in that yourself somehow or find any potential in that or, or not really? I've been thinking about this a, lo a lot because, like I said, I was dressed as a boy and was very um, uncomfortable with traditional femininity for a lot of my childhood and young teen years. And I'm thinking that maybe if I had grown up now, and that had been more a pound of part of the conversation that it was in the 90s. Maybe I would have been attracted to like non-binary uh, identities. I would maybe have been attracted. I don't think I've ever, I've never experienced body dysphoria. I don't think I would have been attracted to the trans identity or identified as that. But I think I would definitely have sought up spaces that challenged like the direct connection between breasts and vagina and femininity. <laughs> um, but I think I was getting too old for that once I got into that because I was like oh, I'm a woman. Vi ska strax tillbaka till den här samtalen om sex och sexualitet på nätet. Men jag tänkte bara ännu en gång skulle minna om att vi har ett specialtillbud till dig som också då hörer på podcasten. Gå in på morgonbrad.no/podd så får du avisa i ett helt år till halv pris. I tillägg så vill jag också minna om att om du liker det vi gör här på podcasten så vill du nog också lik vår systerpodcast Da, hvor Kari Stotsven och Håkon Gunnarsson tar djupdyk i Morgonbladets arkiv. Nu tillbaka till sändningen hvor Emil Flate akkurat skulle ta stilla ett frågeställ till Emily Witt. So you introduced this very interesting concept I think uh, early on in your book which is this idea of a clean and lit space. Is that how it's termed? Yeah. yeah. Could you explain what that is? Yeah, sure. So a clean, well-lighted space is um, the title of a short story by Ernest Hemingway. Um, but somehow it became a marketing catchphrase for um, selling a certain kind of sexuality to women. So um, it began in San Francisco with a feminist sex shop, sex toy shop called Good Vibrations that sold vibrators. And they took the vibrators out of the pornographic packaging that they were in that they found to be sexist and put them sort of on pedestals. And, and then there were vibrators that were not, um, you know, dolphin-shaped so that they weren't phallocentric. And, <laughs> and the whole idea was that um, a feminine sexuality was sort of not a literal depiction of sex that it would and it, it carried over when they started um when the first internet dating companies started they found that if if women were going to use the website the site had to be a white background instead mm -hmm. of a black background women had to be able to um i don't know they liked if you could put you, you were looking for an activity partner um mm -hmm. because you didn't want to appear like desperate or or overly sexual. Um, if if women started receiving um, unwanted nude photos from people that were interested in them, they would immediately quit the site. So they had to put in blocks, and and it, it 
became interesting to me that this became associated with even um, what's often called feminist pornography. Okay, so there's still sex. It'll still be a porno, but, like, the couches will be white, and it'll be this kind of, like, Scandinavian. (laughs) Ikea furniture. Yeah, exactly. And it just came... I saw it over and over that this phrase would be used in correlation with feminist sexuality, and I just kind of became... It it started to bother me... um, because why, um, what was it about, like, black background nasty mm. porno sites that women didn't want to, so was it because it felt threatening to them or because they had been socialized to somehow think of sex as not actually about sex but some other ephemeral uh, place and and it, when it came to the question of what a feminist in the eighties when the anti porn feminist movement was very strong, that was the intellectual impasse they reached, which was um, well the, if if feminist sex doesn't look like pornography, what does feminist sex look like? And the problem was that they would say things like, "Oh, it's like a stream meeting another stream," and mm-hmm. it's like, "No, it's not. Maybe not <laughs> well, like the that." The eco porn you were you write <laughs> yeah. about, yeah. So there was eco um, porn. So <laughs> yeah, so it that the phrase began to bother me, and I began to question what it meant for me that I didn't check the box that said I was interested in casual sex, and that I would immediately delete any like explicit overture and what 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 was going on there. Mm. Yeah. Nonetheless, though, I wonder because I mean, you, Emma, for instance, you've seen corners of the internet that I did not know before I encountered, before I met you, really, um, and whether maybe we need that sort of a safe space. Mm. But first, could you just tell us a bit about what that world is? Oh, it's it's such a different thing to describe. I think that revenge porn and the violent material that stems from that crime really exists in many different spaces. Oftentimes, revenge porn pictures are used to do fake profiles in Mm -hmm. sites that are not well lit, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, Every day, I'm contacted by people who think that they've been contacted by me um, on some sort of dating site. Um, and, And I think that... I think that the reason... Uh, when I'm hearing you speak now, I'm thinking about why am I afraid of these places? Because I was afraid of these places also. Afraid before. of the clean afraid of, spaces? Or? Afraid of pl- places that looked like they attracted the dangerous men. Mm. And I think mm. that's what I associate with dark websites, websites that are very sexually explicit. It's not that I'm, I think, personally repulsed by it. I think that I think this looks like it's marketed towards men that I find dangerous and scary. Mm -hmm. And they will be here, and they will be attracted to this layout Mm -hmm. and this graphic design. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Scary men love dark web pages. (laughs) Um, But I think that what I've been exposed to is... um, uh, a place that I am having extreme difficulty still um, relating to the fact that these people exist in the real world. And I'm talking like long, long boards of anonymous people who um, 
discuss or if we take me as an example to not make other people specifically vulnerable but I've seen long threads on Reddit um, with anonymous user discussing um, how to make me commit suicide Um, who should we send the pictures to in order to um, most of all hurt her Um, but I've also seen discussions like this on Facebook Um, and I think that What scares me a little is that there seem to be a lot of people who embrace this splitting up of the self into an internet identity where you have no responsibility at all, where everything is kind of like an imaginary specter, which is maybe also why people are able to ghost each other, but they won't do in the street. Mm. But And then there's this idea where you have an actual person in front of you. Mm. Um, but I think also making that dichotomy is also letting them get away too easy. Mm -hmm. I think we also have to... I think if you want to learn anything from looking at extremely sexist um, and very, very painful um, discussions about women, about minorities online, it is that maybe women were right when they were saying that there are dangerous men who have dangerous opinions of women. Um, and I have seen regular men with kids in their profile pictures, um, usernames that I was able to track back to guys my own age who went to the same university as me, saying the vilest, meanest, most violent shit I have seen in my entire life about women online. And I must say, I still don't really know how I should process that information and what that means. But I will say, I think the wish for a well-lit space is a way to try to not think about those men and think that you can that it makes you safe. Mm -hmm. But if Harvey Weinstein has learned you learned us anything, well-lit spaces doesn't work. Right. Yeah. So I think, if anything, well-lit spaces is an illusion, right? Yeah. It's a way to try to protect yourself um, from something you can't protect yourself against. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that's the ultimate big sadness of all of this, is that it's women trying to be sexual in a safe way, but also maybe realizing that that isn't possible. Yeah. Can I just say another uh, well-lit space? Like Tinder, for mm -hmm. example. You have the same... You see the same things. Um, when I started doing research on the book, I came up on this um, Instagram profile called By Felipe, uh, which is basically women who post screenshots of conversations they've had with men. And uh, they often they start off really, you know, like a normal conversation. Hey, good weekend. Hey, what's up? Or, hey, my name is so-and-so. How are you? And then when the woman doesn't respond immediately... Uh, or when the woman says, oh, sorry, I'm not interested, then it goes off and, like, they're going to wish I could burn you alive, bitch, and you are... I don't even want to get into... It's just uh, the stuff that I read on that uh, seems, you know, the Instagram page. It's actually... It was really shocking to me, and maybe I was naive, but but just this rage that, that's, that you see in these... Um, in these messengers. And what's also interesting here is that these are uh, men with their names and their Tinder profiles or their um, Facebook profiles even. Yeah, and that is a clean, well-lit space. So 
And I like like you said, I don't even know how to grapple with it. It's it's um it's just it seems to be yeah, very big in mm. a way and, and just like this monster. There but there's also in a way something so incredibly human about it, right? Yeah. I'm like pretty sure Jane Austen was ghosted. Sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Madame and Bovary was ghosted. Yeah, yeah. La- Madame Bovary was totally <laughs> yeah, yeah. being ghosted. And she also went to these parties, you know, thinking the next guy yeah. I dance with, yeah. he's gonna be the one. And and like, I, and I think that that's what I keep coming back to when I think about these things. It's like, yes, things have maybe become a little more complicated, but finding loving and having great sex has always been really <laughs> difficult. It's true. And and there's something so human about all these things, mm-hmm. right? Finding out what what it is that turns you on, and mm-hmm. finding out who you're attracted to, and what it is you wish f- to from life, where you feel safe, where you feel love, how you experience desire. Mm-hmm. Um, it there's some, and I'm thinking about this also. I've been thinking about this also in terms of why does revenge porn exist? It's so sad. Like, mm-hmm. but there's also something just so human about humiliating each other, and 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 like it's like there was a town whore in the Renaissance, and now there's me, yeah. <laughs> and, and and we are kind of related, her and I, in some sort of way, right? <laughs> that in every aspect of these things, they are so mediated and they're so commodified, and it's broadcast live and it's all over the world. But it's just so human because people are always a little awkward and they're a little shy and they're trying to be polyamorous but then someone gets jealous and it's <laughs> it's just so human all of it in a way and I think that makes it easier to talk about as I don't think the machines control us quite yet Vil du høre hele denne samtalen fra Norsk Sakprosa Festival så finner du den inne på morgenbladet.no skråstrek portal Det var alt vi hadde den her uka. Om du liker det du hører her på podcasten, så gå veldig gjerne inn på iTunes og gi oss en hyggelig tilbakemelding der. Eller gå inn på Facebook-siden vår og begynn å følge oss. Så får du med ny information om podcasten så fort det kommer. Musikken du hører i bakgrunnen nå er laget av Beglomegg og Obne Meisfjord. Jeg heter Askel Matre Åsare. Vi høres neste uke.